pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we look to You now. We long to draw from Your Word the nourishments that we need spiritually to live for You throughout this week. And we pray, Father, that You would present to us the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that He offers in the Gospel, the life of holiness that He seeks from us and desires to produce in us so that we would live for Him faithfully this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. You'll find that on page 798 of the Pew Bible, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. In chapter 1 through 3, Paul proclaimed the glorious mysteries of the gospel in Christ. And in chapter 4, he began to exhort the church to live as this new society, this new community that God is building for himself. And in the first half of chapter 4, he said that if we're going to be this new community that God is building in Jesus, then we need to be unified, seeking to bless one another, each part working properly, using our gifts for the building up of the body so that we attain maturity in Christ. But now he turns from unity to holiness and really from verse 17 of chapter 4 through the beginning of chapter 6 we see this holy life that Paul wants to expound and different arenas of life that Christians find themselves in and what it means to live a holy life in those particular arenas. And so we begin here in chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. I took a year off of college to help my parents renovate their house. Towards the end of that renovation process, we had to construct a staircase to go to the second floor. This was a brand new staircase. We had never done anything like this before, and we talked to the sales rep of the company that supplies all the things necessary to build a staircase. Unfortunately, every time we had a craftsman come over to actually take what we had purchased and construct the staircase, they all said no. We weren't sure exactly why, but it was a tense time. We had been living together. Our whole family, plus my future brother-in-law in in a single-wide trailer out in the country with all of our furniture from Kansas City packed in all around us. And we have been working together 10 hours a day, six days a week for months on end. Needless to say, tension was high. So it was now falling on my future brother-in-law and I to construct this staircase. And as we begin to plan it out and think about all the things that were necessary... 
as soon as we got into the project, one of the things that we realized we needed were better tools. If we were going to do this, we needed better tools. We needed sharper tools to actually do something that reveals somewhat of the craftsman that we think we are. Friends, what God wants to do is develop better tools for Himself so that He, the master craftsman, can build something glorious so that when the world looks at it, it says, now who is the master who built that? Who is the master craftsman? You remember from chapter 2, verse 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is building His church, and what He wants to do through His church is build His kingdom in the world. A worldwide kingdom of justice and mercy and peace. And if He's going to build that kind of kingdom, He's going to need better tools. And so what is He doing? Through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the Gospel, through the cross of Christ, He is making new creations. People who look more and more like His own Son, who are better, sharper tools, so that when we go out into the world, we actually make an impact. We actually do something and build something and create something that's glorious, that says to the world, look at the master craftsman. So if God is going to transform the world through the church, He's first got to transform us from the inside out. And that's what sanctification is all about. The process of taking sinners and turning them into saints. The process of not only declaring us to be righteous, but working grace in us so that we become righteous in this life. A process that will not be completed until we reach glory. But one that God is determined to work out now in this life so that He will have the best, sharpest tools to work with. Now what Paul says here in verse 17 is, Now this I say. He has just finished saying that we need to serve together with every part working properly so that we'll attain the unity of the faith and maturity in Jesus. Literally, it means, therefore, this I say to you. In other words, because we're all to work together to achieve unity, now I have something further to say. And if we're going to achieve the purposes for which God has sent us into the world, then we need to be sanctified. We need to be holy. We need to kind of be the kind of people that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ so that we would be set apart for the greatest mission of all the world. The salvation of sinners and the restoration of a kingdom of glory. That's what we're about. And we can only get there if we become the kind of tools that God wants to use in His hands for the purposes of glorifying Jesus. So what are we to do? Paul tells us two things here. First, we must not go back to what we were. We must not go back to what we were. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He testifies in the Lord. He's saying, This is from the Lord. This is the message of God Himself. Do not walk any longer as the Gentiles do. In other words, 
Do not go back to the old pattern, the old lifestyle that you used to live as a non-believer. Do not sink back into that pattern of life that will actually make you ineffective in the kingdom of God because you'll look no different than the rest of the world. Now sometimes we find ourselves slipping back into the patterns that we used to walk in. Maybe before we became Christians later on in life as an adult or just the patterns of life that we see in the world. Sometimes we do that actively. We want it. We long for it. We want to seek out pleasures in the ways that the world offers to us. But oftentimes we actually do so passively. Where the world just seems to sort of pick us up and carry us along. It's as though we've been bridled like a horse and we're being led all throughout life by the way in which the culture lives. Following the stream. Letting it take us and guide us wherever it wants because we're not fighting against it. Seeking to be led by the Spirit instead. And so we're no longer to live that way. And we need to recognize who we were as non-Christians so that we don't fall into that pattern. And who we were was, first of all, people with unproductive minds. Unproductive minds. He says here, we must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of our minds. The futility of our minds, the emptiness, the vanity, the purposelessness of our thinking. Because at one time we thought certain ways and we thought that those ways would accomplish for us desires that we longed for. A sense of purpose in life. A sense of satisfaction. And he's saying the mind that is unconverted, that hasn't come to Jesus and submitted to Him, is actually futile in its thinking and will not accomplish the purpose which it really desires. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.18. He says that Jesus ransomed us from the futile, futile ways inherited from our forefathers. The grace of Christ has ransomed us, purchased us back from futile, empty, vain, purposeless ways that have been handed down to us. All the ways in which we used to live. We've been ransomed from that. The empty way of life that is characterized by idolatry. It's characterized by self-seeking. Living for my own self and my own pleasures. Careers that are built upon self-interest alone. The constant pursuit of entertainment. Building my own reputation in the community as someone who serves simply so I can be praised. What Paul says, these are all futile, empty, purposeless ways. Why are they empty way of life? Well, look on in verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Darkened in our understanding. And because of that, we're alienated from God because of spiritual ignorance. In other words, I can't really see straight spiritually. So I'll pursue all the things that my mind can come up with that will bring satisfaction for me. It's the mindset that I don't need God to make my life worth living. I'll create my own meaning and my own purpose and my own satisfaction. There's a pop singer by the name of Katy Perry, and she sings a 
song called Firework. And it sort of reveals a little bit of the angst within every person of wanting a life that is meaningful and satisfying. She says, do you ever feel already buried deep, six feet under, scream, but no one seems to hear a thing? Do you know that there's still a chance for you? Because there's still a spark in you. You just got to ignite the light and let it shine. Just own the night like the 4th of July. Seize it for yourself. Take it. And I think one of the interesting things about her is that she was actually raised in a Christian family. Now, I don't know what flavor of Christianity she comes from. I don't know what her parents actually taught her about the gospel. But what I do know is that she has rejected that. And she has sought a life with the pleasures of the world, with the accolades of the world, with the sense of purpose that the world can give to her, with fame, with all that it comes with. And she says, you've got to go take it for yourself. And in the end, Paul says, that's futile thinking because you're alienated from God and it will ultimately only end in your destruction. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 12, that that kind of person is without hope and without God in the world. In other words, what we were were people who would walk around and we would eat and drink. We would go to movies and we would go to our jobs and we would enjoy certain things. But we would miss the whole point of life, which is knowing God and serving Him. Knowing His grace and His pleasure. Knowing what it's like to take pleasure in serving Him and building something that lasts for all of eternity. And the futile mind is like the art student who goes into an art museum and goes past the Picassos and goes past the Rembrandts just to find the gift shop. Or it's the person who's the hiker. She finds her way to the Grand Canyon, but she doesn't stop and look at the Grand Canyon, but rather she sees a penny on the ground and she picks it up and she's enamored with the penny. They've missed everything. And their thinking in the end doesn't lead them to what they really wanted. Friends, sometimes our thinking doesn't produce the desired effect that we intend. We thought we were able to solve our problems only to find that we've made a mess of things. We were thought we were able to satisfy ourselves to realize that the things that we tried to satisfy ourselves with end up becoming master and ruler of our lives. We thought we were able to make our lives meaningful. We thought we were powerful and strong. And all those futile ways of thinking have eventually proven themselves to be empty and worthless. Because there's only one who can solve our problems. There's only one who can satisfy. There's only one who can make our lives meaningful. There's only one who can give eternal life. And that's Jesus. And the mind that is sanctified by Him comes to Him. We end up sometimes going back, reasoning in our own minds according to our own wisdom. The I know better than God syndrome. Just like the people in the wilderness who knew better than what God was doing, leading them out in the wilderness. They had plenty of food back in Egypt. Were the disciples and the family of Jesus who would often rebuke Him. Jesus, it's your turn to make the wine now. Please do this. Jesus, you ought to go up to the feast. Jesus, you ought not go to the cross. I will not permit it. 
It's thinking that I know better than God. That I can take a shortcut in life. And I can get the things that I really desire. And that they will satisfy. Well, not only is there futile thinking, but there's also hardened hearts. He says all of this comes, verse 18, due to their hardness of hearts. In other words, spiritual obstinacy. A rejection of the authority of God and of His grace. A rejection of His revelation. Pharaoh and Egypt being the chief picture of that in the Bible. Over and over, God comes to him through Moses. Let my people go. No, I will not let them go. Hardness of heart. He hardens his own heart as God hardens his own heart. It's really a picture of what we see in Romans chapter 1. Where people suppress the truth, exchange it for a lie, and then seek all kinds of things. Worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. And God gives them over. And what they find in the end is what one writer calls eternal disappointment. Eternal disappointment. That all those things come to an end. Whatever pleasures we have in life come to an end. And they only blossom into a great disappointment with the dream of a satisfied life unrealized because of our hardness of heart. Paul says we can end up back there just like the Ephesians, rejecting the Gospel. Rejecting that Christ has come to set us free of the life of self-destruction. Rejecting the fact that He has promised good things for us. Rejecting His commandments. We can harden our hearts and seek the easy path of life. One that seems attractive. One that seems pleasing. Just like Eve sought the pleasing picture of the fruit on the tree. Finally, he says what we were. were unsatisfied senses. Unsatisfied senses. Here he's talking to the person who's darkened in their mind. Their heart of heart. And look what happens. Verse 19. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The person who is futile in their thinking because of a hardness of heart also has a callus over their hearts. You know what it's like to have a callus. You can poke it with something that's hard or something that's sharp and you really don't have a sensation. In other words, the person who is like this is deadened in their senses. And the pleasures that they seek and the desires that they want actually don't satisfy because of this callous that's all over their hearts. And so what do they do? Verse 19 says, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy to practice. In other words, there's this excess of indulgence. In other words, I've got to have more and more. If I'm going to be pleased, if I'm going to be satisfied, I've got to have more and more as a substitute for God. Our culture is a culture of excess, isn't it? If you travel around the world, you go to third world countries and you see what the rest of the world has, you realize our culture is a culture of excess. We have biggie fries. We have biggie Cokes. Everything that we do is big. We need more and we need more. Why? Because 16 ounces is no longer enough. I need 32 ounces. 
If a little bit is good, a little bit more will do me better. But what ends up happening here is that I seek more. I'm greedy to practice it. But it leads to more and more hardening of heart. The callus grows harder, grows larger. And I've got to have more and more to satisfy. I saw a documentary one time about a group of people who went out on a sailboat into the Atlantic. And at some point, a storm arose up and capsized their boat. They were without any means of communication. Their boat was sinking. Some of them were injured. A few of them drowned. But several survived and got into a lifeboat. And they were adrift at sea for days on end. The the sun was beating down upon them. They were thirsty. And all around them was water. And it looked clean. It looked pure. It looked blue. And they longed to drink it. And some of them got to the point where they did drink it. And others said, no, don't do it. It'll kill you. But they drank it anyway. And all it did was make them even more thirsty for more. As they drank it, they began to hallucinate. And eventually they died of dehydration. And that's the picture of what Paul is talking about here. Is that futile thinking that pursues the wrong things out of hardness of heart grows a callous heart so that we want more and more and actually what it ends up doing is spiraling us down into our own destructions. Christians are not immune to this sort of thing. That's why Paul says, don't walk in the ways of the Gentiles any longer. Sometimes we're Lost in a world of make-believe. It might be soap operas. It might be online. But that becomes our reality. Sometimes there's thrill-seeking. And that becomes the thing that we long for. We've got to have more and more of it. Maybe it's online gambling for some people. The pursuit of a carefree life apart from responsibilities. Maybe it's overworking yourself to death to get attention. And what Paul says is the more we pursue this kind of life from this futile thinking that only leads to destruction and what the church becomes is a dulled instrument that's no longer any good for changing the world. Why? Because we look just like it. Because we're pursuing the same things. And maybe we're even saying, come on. Follow me. And Paul says, if that's the kind of life that the church lives or the people of God lives, then we'll have no impact on the world. Here's a question I think all of us should ask ourselves. Would you want to live the life that you're living now for all of eternity? Would you want to live the life that you're living now for all of eternity? Now, On one level, we would all say no because there's struggles, there's suffering, there's illness, there's hardships in this life. But I think we would also all say no because we know that our lives are not yet exactly what God wants them to be in Jesus. So Paul says, don't go back to what you were. Secondly, he says this, we must live as what we are. 
That's what he tells the Ephesians here, verse 20. But that's not the way you learned Christ, he says. Now that's a bit of an odd statement, to learn Christ. But he means to learn to know, to love, to serve, to trust Christ. And he knows that they have learned better. Because he's taught them better. The book of Acts records for us that Paul spent five hours a day for two years in the hall of Tyrannus teaching the Ephesians. Now that's the equivalent of a seminary education. They know the grace of the Gospel. And he knows that they know it. And so what he wants for them is to not have this half-learned Jesus. Where Jesus, yes, forgives me of my sins. He welcomes me into eternal life. But He's not actually changing me into His glorious character. And He says, learn the whole Christ. And how do we do that? One, as students of Christ. Verse 21 says, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, it's interesting, our ESV translation says, assuming that you've heard about Him. Actually, the word about is not in the Greek text. It more literally reads, assuming that you have heard Him. That you've heard Him. That Jesus Himself has actually spoken to you. It's not that just you've learned some facts about Jesus, but that Jesus, through the power of His Spirit, using human instruments, has actually spoken to you. So that you become His student. And then the next phrase, assuming that you have heard Him and were not taught in Him, but taught by Him. Jesus is our great teacher. Yes, He may use a variety of spokespeople in the world. Yes, He may use a particular person to lead us to Him. But actually, He's the one who speaks to us and we learn from Him as students. Friends, what we hear has a powerful impact upon our lives. Who do we listen to the most? Is it the news broadcast? Is it that blogger that we read? Is it the radio host? Who do we listen to the most? And it ought to be Jesus. What kind of students ought we to be? Humble, teachable. Jesus said in the Gospels, take my yoke upon, me, upon you and learn from me. Learn from Jesus. That's what He delights in. That we would be good students who realize that a life of, of self-indulgence, of futile thinking, of hardness of heart, will actually lead us nowhere. And that the only life worth living is the life that He has for us. And what's that life? Secondly, it says, new creations in Christ. Paul says here that we've Learn from Christ. What did we learn? Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And verse 24, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. These are not new commands that Paul is giving. They're ones that he's confident they have heard before. That when they became believers, they learned to put faith in Jesus. And because of that, their old nature, the old self, the sinful nature was put off. And when they came to faith in Jesus, the new self was put on as Jesus made them new creations in Christ. So that now they're free from the dominion of sin. That no longer 
has to master, mastery over them and they can actually live for Him. And that's who we are. New creations in Jesus. No longer bound to futile thinking. No longer bound to hardness of heart. No longer having that callous over our heart so that we need more and more of what the world has for us to satisfy. But rather, we need more and more of Jesus to satisfy. And that's actually what makes us sharp tools in God's hands. Being the students of Jesus and the new creations of Jesus. Because the church that lives that way is the church that has the greatest impact upon the world. The church that's committed to Christ, committed to His bride, committed to our families, committed to our marriages, committed to the people in our workplace, committed to doing our jobs with integrity, committed to evangelizing the lost, committed to relieving suffering in the world, committed to using our gifts to build up the body of Christ. Committed to speaking the truth in love. See, when we're committed to those things out of the fact that we've learned from Jesus and we're new creations in Him, all of a sudden we become the church that's a sharp tool in His hands. Friends, when we have good character, the character of Jesus, and we go out into the world, and we have His sense of maturity that... that Life is not about me, but maturity is about living for people and it's about taking responsibility in His kingdom. And we become the church that makes the greatest impact in the world. I heard someone speak not long ago, just just a couple of weeks ago. This is an organization that comes into Hendersonville in order to do works of service on behalf of the people of God for people who are in need. And they went to this one particular lady's house. And I don't know exactly what they did, but they repaired something. They took care of her needs in some fashion. She said, oh, I'm so thankful that you have come. Because you see, the churches in this community do not care about us. Friends, I don't say that to shame us. I say that because we have a great opportunity. The opportunity is before us to give a great name to our Savior in the world's eyes and to give a great name to His bride, His body, His church. We belong to the One who does care, who has come to bind up our wounds, who has come to preach good news to us who are futile in our thinking and hard of heart and calloused. And we have received grace. And we want to give it. Holiness. A life of purity. A life more and more like the Lord Jesus is what makes us sharp instruments in His hands to build glorious things. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we want to be the church that You delight in to call your own. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us more and more holy. We would not forget who we are. We would seek to be Jesus' students and learn from him. That we would seek to know his grace and how he has made us new creations so that we would live a life of righteousness 
and holiness. And in that, you would build your kingdom through us. For Jesus' sake and glory. Amen.